الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي هدانا سبلنا يا رب لك الحمد كما ينبغي لجلال وجهك ولعظيم سلطانك وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله إذا قضى أمرا فإنما يقول له كن فيكون وهو القاهر فوق عباده ويرسل عليكم حفظه وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا ومولانا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله وما ينطق عن الهوى إن هو إلا وحي يوحى من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يتوكل على الله فإن الله مع المتوكلين أما بعد Dear committed Muslims, brothers and sisters We will continue to sustain our information, accuracy, much needed information about Al-Quds and how that relates to us. The event of Al-Isra and Al-Mi'raj is extremely rich in meanings. And unfortunately, these meanings for the very few people who have studied and lived this issue, many of the few are hesitant or reluctant to pass on this information to those who need it. Information is important because much of what is being done to us, this takfiri phenomenon, people being disoriented, confused, passive, withdrawn, all of these reactive positions that Muslims find themselves in, much of it is attributed to the absence of accurate information. So they play with our minds, they play with us. We become the enemies of our own selves. And if we understood our Prophet, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his, if we understood the struggle that he went through, we would have saved ourselves all of this misery and waywardness that we are in, we meaning the Muslims of the world, 
are in today. <clears throat> so let us rehabilitate our body of information if we have bits and pieces of information. Let's rehabilitate that. And so, if we wanted to take a very brief survey of the Prophet's Meccan era, when the Prophet was in Mecca, there were three extremely important events that happened to our beloved Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The first one is his commission to be a Prophet. When Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala communicated with him, that is a very significant event that happened in his life. The second one is the Isra and the Mi'raj that we are speaking, that we have been speaking about in the previous khutbas. That's the second. There's many events that happened in the course of these 13 years. But we're trying to shed light on the, the events that were rich in meaning. And that, that doesn't mean we're trying to belittle the other details of his lifelong struggle. The first one, his ba'tha. The second one is the Isra and the Mi'raj. And the third one, his Hijrah. His forced dislocation from Mecca unto Al-Madina. These are events that have significant practical meanings to us today. Let us observe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose Mecca to be the beginning of the history, the resumption of previous history and the, gener the generating of events in what is to become future history. This is extremely important to factor in. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have chosen Yemen. Yemen had civilization. He could have chosen Asham. Asham had civilization. And the Meccans used to go once to Al-Yemen and another time to Asham during the course of the year. Rihlat al-Shita' was-Saif. But Allah didn't choose it like that. And Allah's choice, Azza wa Jal, is not happenstance. Mecca was a gravity center of all of the Arabian Peninsula. You took issue with Mecca, you're taking issue with the most important city in that peninsula. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calculated and we're using human language here just to understand, try to understand. He calculated that Mecca is going to be the, the center of this whole Islamic future. So Mecca was central. All the Arabians used to go to Mecca for many different purposes. And if you were in an argument with Mecca, you're, 
were, you were with an argument of the boss, the cultural boss, the historical boss, the religious boss, the traditional boss, the linguistic boss. It was Mecca. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose that his beloved prophet is going to be in and from central Mecca. That has a message to us. It wasn't in some rural area. Now the Prophet himself, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his forever, he had three spheres that he was in when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first spoke to him. Iqra' that began the whole process, the word Iqra' read and understand. The first sphere was his own self. He had to convince his own self that he is a prophet. Because the, the minute before that, he wasn't a prophet. Now, in this revelational moment, he became a prophet. It wasn't hard for him to convince himself. There's not one trace of information that says to us from any source that the prophet was doubting that he was a prophet. None whatsoever. So that was a more or less what we call an easy task. The second sphere that he had to work in is to convince the people that he knew that he was a prophet. And the third sphere he had to work in is to convince the people that he did not know that he is a prophet. So these are three spheres he had to work in. The sphere of his own self, that was guaranteed. No doubt for a moment. But then when it came to the people he knew, then there were some who would accept and some who would not. And when it came to the people he did not know, there were also some who would accept and some who would not accept. Now we come to the issue of protecting the Prophet. Allah's, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala offered the Prophet protection in his own sphere by his wife, Khadija. And that's in his internal life. In his external life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala offered him the protection of his uncle Abu Talib. These were two protective shields in his life. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that both of these protective personalities in his life would pass away at this, in the same time frame, in the same year which was called Am al-Huzn, the year of sorrow. Now the Prophet of Allah was exposed, so to speak. All of the enemies that were trying to, in, with their, all of their different methods, they were trying to get rid of him. 
Now he had no protection between him and those enemies. And so it was at this time that he felt he had to seek help from somewhere else. He knew what Mecca was. These are his own people. He knew that after all of these years, almost 12 years he spent with them, and there's nothing coming out of them. What is it, 100, 120, 150 or so individuals out of thousands of individuals who became Muslim, committed Muslims? So he went to Al-Ta'if. In Al-Ta'if, he had one of his worst experiences where the riffraff was turned against him. They threw rocks at him, they threw insults at him. Now, for those individuals who interpret the infallibility of the Prophet in a certain way, ask yourselves if the Prophet's infallibility is according to your definition, why did he go to a Ta'if? When it was a failure, his attempt to seek support from the people of a Ta'if was a failure. So, this, I'm not going to use words that get on people's nerves. Suffice it to say that the prophet was not a prophet for himself. He was a prophet for his followers. And his followers are not infallible. So he had to go through the experience that belongs to his followers. Underline that sentence. He had to go through the experience that belongs to his followers. So that if we had, if we are forced to seek help and fail in that regard, we do not give up on our own selves. If the Prophet was successful, and he never experienced a setback, then when we are set back, we blame ourselves as not being able to live up to the standards of Allah's Prophet. Can we get that straight? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the ayah that we quoted at the beginning of these khutbahs, سبحان الذي أسرى بعبده ليلا من المسجد الحرام إلى المسجد الأقصى الذي باركنا حوله لنريه من آياتنا إنه هو السميع البصير. Brothers and sisters, I want you to pay close attention to what I'm going to say now. I'll try the best I can to make it as clear as I can. This ayah begins with, remember, this ayah is revealed in the circumstances that I just spoke about. The prophet in Mecca, the opposition of his people, the loss of his guards, Khadija and Abu Talib, 
his attempt at getting support from the Ta'if and his frustration and despair in relative terms in these so this ayah was revealed this event took place in those circumstances Allah saying subhanalladhi asra bi'abdihi layla uniquely extolled is Allah who has taken on a rank journey during the night his abd from al-masjid al-haram to al-masjid al-aqsa al-ladhi barakna hawla the vicinities of which we have blessed linuriyahu min ayatina so that we will show him of our power demonstrations innahu huwa as-sami'u al-basir the ayah ends saying indeed Allah is all hearing all seeing as-sami' al-basir notice that this the ayah is speaking about what is called a miracle the ayah is speaking about al-isra and al-mi'raj in the language of the common man that's a miracle Al-Isra is a miracle, Al-Mi'raj is a miracle. If Allah is speaking about a miracle in this one ayah, why did this one ayah end with As-Sami'ah Al-Basir? If Allah is speaking about such a miracle, why did it not end with وَهُوَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ And Allah is capable of everything and anything. It did not end like that. It ended by وَهُوَ السَّمِيعَ الْبَصِيرِ If the ayah ended with وَهُوَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ That means Allah is more interested in taking on the power of the enemies of Allah's Prophet. But Allah is not concerned with their power at all. What is he concerned with? He is concerned with the well-being of his prophet. And his prophet was going through times of tribulation. And Allah wanted to assure his prophet that he hears and sees everything that is happening to him. So Allah is not responding to the balance of power in the Arabian Peninsula. The mushriks have much more power and Allah's poor prophet has barely any power at all. He's not responding to that. He is responding to the psychology of Allah's prophet. Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. That's what he is concerned with. So he ends this ayah وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ Because many people, and power is something that does untold things to human beings. And this is one of them. One of the issues of power is we are so much overwhelmed by those who have power that we can't even think straight when it comes to the ayat of the Qur'an. And... uh, uh, a parallel to this 
Allah in Surah Ar-Rahman says, Ar-Rahmanu al-Qur'an. It is the mercy giver who made it, who had the Qur'an taught. The average mind would say, if there's a process of learning and teaching, the information that comes from someone should come from someone who knows the best and the most. So the surah, why did it begin with Ar-Rahman? It did not begin with one of Allah's other attributes that say that He knows everything. Al-Alim, Allamul Ghuyub, Alimul Ghaybi wa Shahada. And then Allamal Quran. Because it is Allah's unfailing mercy that dictates that the Quran should be taught. It's not a matter of the way power structures and power impressions have taken over our minds. The Quran wants to liberate it, liberate us at this root issue. Subhana alladhi asara bi'abdihi layla min al-masjid al-harami ila al-masjid al-aqsa alladhi barakna hawla linuriyahu min ayatina. Ah? Innahu huwa al-sami'u al-basir. Now, when the Prophet told the people what, what, what happened during the past night, they began to argue with him. They couldn't believe it. What are you saying? They're telling Allah's Prophet, you mean to tell us you went to a place in which we exhaust the livers of our camels. That's a word-by-word translation. It means that our means of transportation, the best that we have, are exhausted to reach where you sit. And it takes, it takes them one month. And you said you went there in one evening, in one night. وَتَأْتِيهَا فِي لَيْلَةٍ وَاحِدَةٍ Once again, they refused to acknowledge Allah's power. The Prophet did not say, أُسْرِيَ بِي The Prophet did not say, I am the one who went on this journey. He said, أُسْرِيَ بِي Which means, I was taken on this journey. Still, those minds who don't factor in Allah Jalla wa'ala in what happens in life, they couldn't see it. They couldn't believe it. And then, let's take an example. You have a child with you. And you're running a 100-yard course with a child, you're carrying a child. And you do that in, I don't know what the exact time is, 
if you're racing at your utmost to do 100 yards, let's say four seconds. I don't know what the 14, four seconds, 40 seconds, whatever it is. But the baby that you have who barely crawls, if they wanted to go the 100 yards, it would take them what? Four hours? So the same thing applies here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took his prophet. It wasn't his prophet who went by himself. But these mushriks and kafirs, they didn't have the capacity to understand that. And then as, as it is said, there's an inverse relationship between power and time. The more power you have, the less time it takes. So if Allah has infinite power, that means it takes no time at all. But the problem with those who are around, they live in a material and materialistic world. They cannot see Allah's will in the actions of man. They refuse to acknowledge that. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayah says, Subhanallah asra bi'abdihi. Exceptionally exalted is Allah who took his abd. Now the word abd is one of those words in which it depends where it is located. In the average colloquial usage of the word abd, it's a derogatory word. It means slave. And many translators, they fall into this mistake of translating the word abid wherever it occurs in the Qur'an as slaves. And here, there's a contradiction in the human mind because the human mind only knows slavery as a perfidy. Something unwanted. So how do you come and say we are, well, we are, how, how do people come and say we are slaves of Allah? You can't be a slave of Allah in the conventional understanding of the word slave. You are a abd of the khaliq, not a abd of al-khalq. There's a distinction there, and it's about time we made an effort to liberate ourselves from the imposition of human politics with all the mess and the dirt that is in it to superimpose it on the meanings of the Quran. And then we go to the word al-masjid. As I said, brothers and sisters, I'm trying to make this short. I know the weather here is quite demanding on you. So I'll try to be very brief on the word al-masjid. Subhanallah asra bi'abdihi layla min al-masjid al-haram ila al-masjid al-aqsa. Al-masjid al-haram. First of all, a masjid is a generic term. Anywhere a person can perform his shara'i sajda is called a masjid. Right here, 
if we pray here, this is a place. Masjid simply means a place of sujood. That's the simple meaning of the word. Anywhere in the world can be a masjid. But Allah described a particular place, only one place in all of the world, that He called Al-Masjid Al-Haram, the sanctified place of sujood. And that is in Mecca, Al-Masjid Al-Haram. Now this Masjid Al-Haram, did Ibrahim initiate and construct this Masjid or was it there before Ibrahim? The answer to that is it was there before Ibrahim. The, and the answer comes from Allah's book. The first house of dedication given to people is the one that was erected in Mecca. Notice that Allah said that this is a house for people. Allah didn't say وُضِعَ لِلْمُسْلِمِينَ وُضِعَ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ وُضِعَ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ وُضِعَ No, no. The word is clear. وُضِعَ لِلْنَّاسِ How come we have made it off limits to الناس? Now, Al-Masjid Al-Haram and Mecca are off limits to people. This is what the Quran is saying. And Anas, they were on earth before Ibrahim. If Allah is saying this has been placed initially for people, then it was placed for the people who preceded, who came before Ibrahim. True, there's an ayah in the Quran, this is where some other people get confused. There's an ayah in the Quran that says, وَإِذْ يَرْفَعُ إِبْرَاهِيمُ الْقَوَاعِدَ مِنَ الْبَيْتِ وَإِسْمَعِيلِ رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَّا And remember when Ibrahim rehabilitated Al-Bayt, it was there. And Ibrahim said when he left his wife Hajar and son Ismail, when he left them there, إِنِّي أَسْكَنْتُ مِنْ ذُرِّيَّتِي بِوَادٍ غَيْرِ ذِي زَرْعٍ عِنْدَ بَيْتِكَ الْمُحَرَّمِ البيت المحرم, This masjid that we're speaking about was there when Ibrahim left his baby Ismail and his wife Hajar there before Ismail became a youth and a man and rebuilt Al-Masjid Al-Haram with his father Ibrahim. So this is not, you know, some average masjid like those who are ruling in Saudi Arabia today. They want you and me to believe, ah, this is some masjid just like every other masjid. Just like they want everyone to believe that the prophet is just like any other prophet. They reduce 
the meaning of al-masjid al-haram and the meaning of rasulillah they reduce this to sub-levels of human understanding and human behavior and then for those who want further information about the mi'raj and notice if you go to surah al-najm wal-najmi idha hawa ma dalla sahibukum wa ma ghawa wa ma yantiqu anil hawa in huwa illa wahyun yuha allamahu shadidul quwa dhu mirratin fastawa fakana qaba qawsayni aw adna fadana fatadalla fakana qaba qawsayni these first 18 ayat in surah al-najm there's nothing in these ayat that say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took the Prophet on that earth to heaven journey. Allah says to us in Surah Al-Isra, He took him from Mecca to Al-Quds. But from there on, it is a blank. Why? Because our minds would not be able to understand even if Allah, Jalla Shatnuhu, were to explain it to us in detail. And so, when we think about Al-Quds, when we think about the Holy Land, do we think about it in a fragmented manner? Al-Masjid al-Haram is something and the Saudis are there. Al-Quds is something else and the Israelis are there. Or is it that the same people who are occupying Al-Masjid al-Haram today are occupying Al-Masjid al-Aqsa? They have different rituals, they have different languages, but they have the same behavior. وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ادعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه ومن اهتدى بهداه Dear committed Muslims wherever you are One of the challenges that still awaits our determination and our vigor, one of the challenges is to see what is happening today in light of what Allah says and the Prophet does. To see what is happening today according to the revealed words of Allah and the guiding actions of His Prophet. This is what we have to do. And this is what many Muslims are delinquent in doing. No one ascends the minbar nowadays and tries to tell you what the Prophet did in that context means what we should do here and now in this context. They don't do that. They run away. Let's take some of what is happening in today's context by some of these who look like Muslims appear as Muslims but in reality who are they okay let's begin the list the Quraysh 
of the 21st century that is ruling in the Arabian Peninsula today you know its name I don't have to tell you but I want to bring the past into the present the Quraysh of today they are entering into an agreement with the Russians to buy the surface-to-air missiles known as S-400. Now, if the rulers in the Arabian Peninsula say that they are following Allah's Prophet and their survival is being threatened, okay, we take them back to the lifetime of Allah's dearest Prophet. We say, okay, was his survival also threatened? Yes. Did he go to the Roman Empire or the Persian Empire to acquire the means, the weaponry from those two world powers at that time? Did he do that? Come on, answer us. We want to hear an answer from you. Before that answer, we want every Muslim to ask that question so that we can begin to see the discrepancy between those who are parading themselves as the maintainers of the two harams. The disunity, the division that the Saudi political criminals there's nothing wrong with saying the truth on a Friday from the minbar at this time even if it hurts the Saudi political criminals are guilty and should be prosecuted in a court of law because of their role in supporting, financing, and arming opposite sides in the Muslim world to kill themselves. Did the Prophet do any such thing? Were there any differences among the generation of the Prophet? Yes, there was. And the major difference which became a matter of Asabiyya was the issue of Al-Muhajireen and Al-Ansar. Did the Prophet use a divide and rule policy among them? Never. Why are the Saudi royals doing that today? They have no justification for what they are doing. The Saudis now, in their propaganda, are targeting the Turks. They are telling their people that no Saudis should go to Turkey for tourism purposes. And they are expressing their glee that the Turkish lira has lost this year one-third of its value. 
and it the economy there is being put through the ringers as if the Saudi royals are on, on the side of the enemies of the Muslim Turks and they feel happy about it where from the book of Allah and the Sunnah of his Prophet where do you find grounds for what you are doing there you who are ruling over Mecca and Al Medina now after the incident that happened in April the attempted assassination of MBS his advisors in Tel Aviv and Washington are telling him you should have a low profile don't make provocative statements stay away from the mass media until you become king you're not king yet when you become king you can think about doing what you are doing now at that time but not now for your own benefit and for your own survival so the, the person has turned paranoid he doesn't take any more telephone calls except very rarely if he is if someone rings him he gives the phone to one of his guards to answer the phone he's afraid that an assassination may be done via a wired explosive cell phone and this was done before to others so he doesn't want it to happen to him where in the example of our prophet do we have our prophet fearing the people where in our history do we have Abu Bakr or Omar or Uthman or Al Imam Ali where do we have any of them fearing the people tell me did they have guards what is this bid'ah then why do you the rulers in Arabia why do you have all these guards you fear the people you can't be with them two of the successors of the prophets were assassinated in the masjid because they were among people and they didn't have guards can you do that ask them why are you accepting you yeah the rulers in Arabia why are you accepting now information and nuclear technology and science from the Israelis that doesn't come from the seerah and the sunnah of the Prophet that comes from the behavior of Quraysh the mushrikeen of Mecca with Bani Qaynuqa with Bani Al-Nadir and Bani Quraidha there was a relationship there and we can see that relationship here but some Muslims are fooled by rituals they cannot go beyond the rituals and then they want us to get involved in petty issues a very well-known soccer player Egyptian by the name of Muhammad Salah he decided he's going to break his fast in Ramadan and then all of a sudden we had these one of these da'is at least one that I know of in Kuwait after the injury that Muhammad Salah sustained in the past week or so this da'i 
who is well known in Kuwaiti society and in Khaliji society and in Arabian society said he had it coming to him he deserved that he wants to make an issue and deflect attention from the crimes of the rulers in his geography this is an issue can you see what is happening in Gaza what is happening in the West Bank what is happening in Al-Quds what is happening in and around and under Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa and you want people now to begin to argue instead of finding try to find a thousand excuses for your brother well if you're playing soccer you many times you are in traveling status you go long distances and you are permitted if you are traveling to break your fast but this is these al-fitna, these khatibs of fitna this is where they want you to channel your ideas and deflect from the true criminals where they are in a ta'if just this week a few security guards were stabbed and injured one of them was killed the other two are in the hospital this is supposed to be the land of peace and serenity now we're beginning not on the borders there's been troubles on the borders of that kingdom for many generations but now inside the major urban centers we have crimes that are breaking out and the daughter of the previous king is presented on the front page of Vogue magazine yes and the Saudi embassy buys it's set it's always setting records of sayyat Another sayyah to be added to its record, it bought a house that used to be the childhood house of Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis for somewhere approaching $50 million here in this city, somewhere around River Road. Can't you think about people who are dying? because of what you are saying and what you are doing we are being now the mass media those who want to control our thoughts they want us to ease into the future so they're telling us they have a plan the deal of the century some call it in which 10% of the West Bank is going to go to the Israelis. They want to give 10% of it without anything in exchange, free, to the Israelis, including the city of Al Khalil, Khalil al Rahman, Prophet Ibrahim. And then they're going to squeeze the capital of a truncated. Palestinian state in 
an undisclosed area in the east of Al-Quds, Jerusalem. The Israelis now, the criminals there who are ruling, they have legalized a law called the McInnes Law. It's an apartheid racist law to destroy homes that belong to Palestinians within the Palestine of 1948. And the victims of this policy are going to be 500,000 Palestinians. Imagine if this information was spoken from the minbar in the Jumu'ah Salahs of the world so that the Muslims get a feel for the real world. You don't go to the masjid to fall asleep. You go to the masjid to come alive. I don't know how long it's going to take for some Muslims to wake up and see the crimes of the royal Saudi family. They are responsible for all of this bloodshed in Syria and Iraq in the past 8 or 18 years. They're one of the major parties that is responsible for that. They brainwashed and they indoctrinated fanatical Muslims who kill other Muslims and now they turn against them. Some of these Muslims who have been indoctrinated and brainwashed are here in some of the prisons in the United States. And still, some of these report to the Saudi treasury that have religious garb on their body. Some of them still don't want to come out and say, we know where the problem is. And let's begin to clean our own house. So Germany says, 1,000 of its citizens have gone from Germany to Iraq and Syria to fight. Who are they fighting? Why did they go? What ideas? What type of information do they have that made them go to Syria to kill others and be killed by others? And in bo on both sides, it is Muslims killing Muslims. Where did that come from? If Saudi Arabia did not exist, Zionist imperialist interests would, dict would dictate that it exists. And finally, France has imported 300 imams, they call them imams, they imported 300 imams from, Fra from Algeria and Morocco to go to France. Why? Because the Muslims who are living in France and in Europe, and for that matter, in North America or Australia, they are relatively free from the influence of indoctrinating and brainwashing Muslim congregations. So they need people who are experienced who can speak the language of the
culture to retard Muslims from a better tomorrow. A tomorrow that belongs to Allah and His Prophet and the committed Muslims. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah wa arina al-batila batilan warzuqna ijtinaabah wa la taj'alhu multabisan alayna waj'alna lilmuttaqina imama Rabbi awzi'ni an ashkura ni'mataka allati an'amta alayya wa ala walidayya وأن أعمل صالحا ترضاه وأدخلني برحمتك في عبادك الصالحين ربنا لا تجعلنا فتنة للقوم الظالمين ربنا نجنا برحمتك من القوم الكافرين ربنا آتي نفوسنا تقواها وزكها أنت خير من زكاها أنت وليها ومولاها اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على محمد وآل محمد كما صليت وسلمت وباركت على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حيا للصلاة حيا للفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله 